Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Over the weekend, a federal jury in Cape Girardeau returned its verdict against agricultural companies Monsanto and BASF. The case involved some Cape Girardeau peach farmers who said they'd been damaged by the weed killer dicamba. And the verdict was staggering. It totaled $15 million in damages and $250 million in punitive damages. That's even more than attorneys had asked for. St. Louis Public Radio reporter Corinne Ruff was in Cape Girardeau when jurors returned their verdict, and she's joining us today to talk about this trial. So, Corinne, welcome back to the program. Hi, thanks for having me on. So the people who filed this lawsuit, they're a pair of peach farmers named the Baders. What were they alleging? So Bader Farms is based in Dunklin County, Missouri, so that's right in the boot heel, and they are Missouri's largest peach producer. So in their lawsuit, which they originally filed in 2016, they said that dicamba-based herbicides are what caused damage to more than 30,000 peach trees. So really, they're alleging that these herbicides are what put their peach business, is are putting their peach business really out of business. So where did these herbicides come from, right? So... Um, Farmers around that area began using dicamba-tolerant seeds, um, which Monsanto started selling in 2015 and 2016, and then farmers started using dicamba-based herbicides to get rid of weeds. Now, the problem with those kinds of herbicides is that they're prone to drift. So that means that they can move off target from where you wanted them to actually go. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that in hot temperatures and other things, it, it, the liquid can turn into a vapor and drift miles away. So, you know, that can drift onto someone else's farm, say a peach farm. So in this suit, what the plaintiffs really are arguing is that their plaintiff, their client was in a quote unquote sea of dicamba. There's a lot of farms in that area using these products and that they were harmed by it. So the baiters weren't using this weed killer themselves, but neighboring farms were. And they're alleging that it drifted over and caused, it sounds like, significant damage, you're saying, to their peaches. So as the lawyer said during the trial, there's no such thing as a dicamba-tolerant peach tree. That's just not something that exists. We're mostly talking about soybean and cotton. Um, So yeah, what they're alleging is that farmers nearby them were spraying these herbicides and it drifted onto their farm. Now, they say that the blame is really with these two companies, Monsanto, which is owned by Bayer now, um, and BASF, which creates... um, different kinds of herbicides. And these two were in business together in in this uh, dicamba business? These are two completely separate corporations, although they both happen to be owned by German companies now. Um, But but really, you know, what was interesting in the trial is that one of the biggest things that the lawyers for BASF sought to do was distance themselves from Monsanto, say, hey, Mm. we're the Coke and Pepsi of the herbicide world. We are fierce competitors. Now, at the end of the day, the jury found that actually they created a joint venture. Together, they... There was another charge of conspiracy. They conspired to hurt farmers' crops because they knew that it would increase their profits of this dicamba-tolerant seed. And how were they saying that hurting farmers' crops would actually help them? So there was a a gap between the release of the dicamba-tolerant seed, which came out in 2015, 2016. And this was released by Monsanto. This was released just by Monsanto. Um, And then two years later, their herbicide that was, you know, meant to go along with that seed was approved by the EPA and released, as well as the herbicide from BASF was also released in 2017. So you get this little two-year gap where a lot of farmers are really excited about this seed. They start planting it because, 
you know, they've got issues of their own with weeds. They, you know, they've been using perhaps glyphosate Roundup beforehand and it wasn't really working. It, it you know, the weeds developed a tolerance to it. And so they were looking for another option and saw this one and, and jumped at the opportunity. Now, the problem was within two years, there wasn't really a herbicide option for them to use, which the plaintiffs will say encourage these farmers to use old versions of dicamba. And these older versions are much more prone to drift than um, the newer versions that came out in 2017. And the allegation then is this caused some huge problems for, say, this peach farm. So what an interesting story. If you have questions for reporter Corinne Ruff about this big dicamba verdict and about what she learned down in Cape Girardeau, we're going to open the phone lines here. You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. So you said BASF, the one German company, they were trying to distance themselves from Monsanto. What was Monsanto's response in court to these allegations that it had, um, you know, caused all this problem on this peach farm? Well, both Monsanto and BASF um, are very clear that they don't believe that dicamba had anything to do with the damage on this farm. Hmm. So really, they didn't go to great lengths to talk about, you know, what dicamba damage looks like, whether their products do cause that. I mean, I think they also are very firm outside of court in saying that their products do not cause dicamba damage. But really, for Monsanto, the main argument was that the Bader the Bader's farm was suffering from a soil fungus, hmm. that they had this soil fungus that was killing off trees. They also spent a good amount of time bringing up insurance claims saying that, you know, the Bader's had a bad frost. They had hail damage. They had all of these other things that were causing problems to the farm, but none of it had to do with dicamba. Okay. So the jury then had to sort out these competing claims. We know this is a huge verdict, but what did they actually find in terms of who was negligent or who was liable and why. So the jury found that the companies were negligent for product design of the seed and the herbicides and also negligent about, you know, failure to warn farmers about some of these risks that, you know, that these could have real implications for farmers who aren't using the dicamba tolerant seed. And they also, which might be more significant um, with upcoming trials, they also found that these two companies created a joint venture and that they conspired to create, quote, an ecological disaster. So they use that phrase just to really signify how big this issue is. I mean, this is something that farmers say has impacted them all across the Midwest. And so those were the two main charges that the jury found. And the biggest part of these damages comes not from um, the damages suffered by the baiters, but punitive damages. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, how that works in this case. So punitive damages um, really was the second phase two, really, of what the jury decided here. They decided, yes, these companies were negligent, and also they should have punitive damages to make sure this doesn't happen again, to make sure that they don't continue down um, using these kinds of strategies. Um, and so that's sort of the sending a message part of the Sending verdict. a message, right? And so the plaintiffs initially asked for $200 million, and the jury went with $250 million. Um, and so I think you know, part of what the plaintiff really stressed before the jury made those deliberations was that, you know, they had almost 200 pages of documents, internal company emails and memos from Monsanto and BASF talking about how these executives knew that there would be harm caused from these products. And it was actually a market opportunity. They could gain a lot more money off of 
you know, these farmers who had been damaged and might be able to persuade them to buy their product. So Bev Randall, she's one of the attorneys for the Baiters who won big here, and you talked to her after the verdict. Here's what she said. And I think more than anything, though, with the punitive damages, it sends a strong message. The baiters were doing this not just because of themselves, but they felt like it was necessary because of what it means to farmers everywhere. This was just wrong. So Bev Randall's the attorney. She's saying that it was the principle of the thing for the baiters. Is that something that they really sort of played hard in this court case to, to talk about not just the damages they suffered, but that they're standing on principle against this, this weed killer? Certainly about the principle of the conduct of the company. Really, the plaintiffs focused on the conduct of the company, um, whereas the defendants really focused on the damage and why it could have been from a soil fungus or other things, but not dicamba. Um, you know, within the trial, it was really focused on what happened to Bader Farms. But now, I mean, Bev and other attorneys are looking at this as setting a precedent for many other lawsuits that are, you know, coming down the channel later this year. Bev's actually representing several other farmers in lawsuits, and some of them could go to trial back in Cape Girardeau before the end of the year. Interesting. And I imagine that any attorney hearing about a verdict of this size, this is going to get their attention. Certainly, this is a very big win for the Randalls and other law firms that were involved in the case. Now, Chris Hone, he's one of the attorneys who represented Monsanto. Here's what he told you after the verdict. The primary arguments that we think warrant overturning this verdict are that very fundamental fact that there was no concrete evidence shown at trial that would show Monsanto's products on Mr. Bader's farm. So, Corinne, it sounds like it's safe to say Monsanto's going to appeal this. Definitely going to appeal. So what, what um, Mr. Hone told me is that he's planning on filing some post-trial motions with that same judge, Stephen Limbaugh, in Cape Girardeau. Now, if he denies those, um, he, the company does plan, and BASF also plans to appeal with the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, now, that, that might be a sort of a long, drawn-out process. In the meantime, punitive damages just sort of hang in limbo. Like, no one exchanges any money for the time being. Okay. We're talking to St. Louis Public Radio reporter Corinne Ruff about what she observed down in Cape Girardeau, where there is a $265 million verdict against Monsanto and BASF for the weed killer dicamba. Um, Corinne, I'm wondering, what do regulators say about dicamba? Is this something that farmers are continuing to use? You know, I think there are still a lot of farmers who swear by the dicamba system because they've really struggled to combat pigweed and some of these things that are really big issues. So I think, you know, this is a really divisive issue. It's actually torn apart friendships between farmers. Mm -hmm. In Arkansas, it led to a murder. Like, this is really serious stuff. And so I, I think it's hard. Um, I think it's hard for farmers to figure out where they fall in this timeline and, and what's right to do for your farm, but also other people's farms around them. It sounds like you might be kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. It, it's not just that you control your own farm. This drift is still a big issue. And it depends on where you are and, and what you're really growing. If you're a specialty crop farmer, like a peach farmer, that's really hard because there aren't dicamba-tolerant systems. Um, now, if you have soybeans, maybe you might just join the, the bandwagon. But if you're an organic farmer or someone who just does not want to buy this product, um, you're going to continue to struggle. So I want to go back to the scene at the trial there, since since you got to observe some of this. I understand you are not the only onlooker who is at this thing. Who was all showing up in the courtroom? 
So early on in, in the, you know, the opening statements, it, it was not quite as packed. I was one of few reporters there. But, you know, once I got down for the closing arguments, it was a packed courthouse. People were standing up and, you know, there were a lot of farmers there as well. Um, and I had a chance to speak with one of them after the verdict. Um, her and her husband actually are farmers also in the boot heel and say that they've been damaged um, by dicamba based herbicides as well. And they're filing a lawsuit. That lawsuit could maybe be one of those that goes to trial at the end of the year. Um, and we've actually got some audio, I believe, of this woman. Is her name Dee Landers? Dee Landers, um, yes. Yeah, so she was there to watch the trial. And here's what she told you. There is a God, and, and he showed what truth is when you expose evil. So those are some really strong words here. Um, did you get the sense from some of these other farmers that were there in the audience that um, they were there out of passion? Cer certainly for Dee. I mean, I think she just, this was everything that she hoped for. And I think it's also giving her hope that, you know, her, her case might go somewhere. She might be able to recoup some of these damages that they've incurred. I mean, she really talked about the financial strain that her and other farmers have had to deal with because of what they say is dicamba damage. Now, um, we did hear from a caller. She didn't want to, um, she didn't want to uh, give the question on air. Maybe we just didn't have time for it. But she had a really good question here that I think actually speaks to part of what Monsanto's defense has been here. And she's wondering, did the neighbor farmer have instructions on how to apply dicamba? So that's a really big point that was also made um, often w within the defense is that the label is the law. That's some refrain we heard over and over again is that, you know, farmers have to look at these labels and pay attention to them. Now, I, I think some people will say that, you know, farmers didn't really have much of a choice. Maybe that's what some farmers would say. Um, and that some of the conditions in which you would have to use this product properly were a little bit unrealistic. Um, it so might not work in real world as well. Saying the label is the law. Um, what were some of the things that the label was saying? And, and do we have the sense that some of these neighboring farms may have just been ignoring that label? I mean, certainly there are allegations of illegal spraying, right? I mean, these old versions of dicamba were not permitted for use on the 2015, 2016 versions of this dicamba tolerant seed. Um, and so, yeah, some people might say, you know what, these farmers are just at fault here. They shouldn't have been using it. I think some farmers would say, like, we didn't really have an option of something else to use. Um, but I think, you know, Monsanto, one of their biggest defense points is that, you know, we had very clear label instructions. And if, if farmers use it according to label, then there's no problem. Um, one of the things that Chris also mentioned, an attorney for Monsanto, is that they did a lot of trainings with farmers. I think hmm. they did trainings with some 50,000 farmers on how to use those products. So, you know, if they weren't using them correctly, it's because they didn't follow those instructions. And is Monsanto able to point to studies they did or some independent studies that show that dicamba is safe? You know, that's an interesting point, And that was discussed sort of in the middle section of the trial when I wasn't able to be there. But, um, you know, Monsanto says, hey, we did a lot of this testing in our own labs, in our greenhouses. But then you have plaintiff, the plaintiff arguing, well, you did this in a very tested environment. You didn't do it out in the real world. If you had done that, you would have seen that it's a lot more problematic than you say it is. And the wind can really change things, for example. The wind can certainly change things. Wind and temperature are really, really big um, factors here. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens on appeal. And it sounds like there could be a bunch more lawsuits um, on this topic for Monsanto to have to sort out. So St. Louis Public Radio reporter Corinne Ruff, thank you so much 
for joining us today. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.